Uh, we're in the middle of a three-part series right now called Killing It, um, as John introduced us to last week. Uh, the series is about killing the thing inside of us that has the potential to kill everything good in and around us. It's pride, and this isn't the pride you have in your children. This is the pride that causes you to yell at your children when your son doesn't represent you well on the ball field. And this isn't the pride that you um, have in your work. It's the pride that causes you, when someone at work screws up, it kind of causes you to smile a little bit because maybe you didn't like that person so much. It's the pride that shuts you in and shuts God and others out. Um, We have to call it out before it um, shuts God and others out. So we need to take back the remote control. John was talking about the remote control last week. We need to take back control and call it out. So today, what I want to transition into is I want to talk about what we'll call the 3P people, all right? And these are people who have a certain measure of, the first one is power. Basically, you own the company, you sign the checks, you're the division leader, you're the board member, you're the head of the household. Um, You know, everyone is careful around you because you have the power. You know, you might be, you know, the manager at Starbucks or the the uh, Cub Scout leader, it doesn't matter, you have the power. The next one is prestige, all right? You know someone important. Um, I met Norm from Seinfeld once at LAX, so I have a little bit of prestige. So. Um, or you've done something important, um, you are known for your knowledge of whatever it is, maybe you're an astrophysicist or something like that, you're really good at something, you have a skill base that people... No, when you walk into the room, people notice you because, ah, there's that guy or there's that woman. Um, And also, you can have prestige just for your beauty, for your handsomeness. You walk in a room and they notice you, all right? So that's prestige. The last one is possessions. You have some stuff, all right? Matter of fact, your stuff has stuff, okay? And you're known for your stuff, all right? You have all the stuff. You might have been born into some money or you might have really worked hard and accumulated it. Um, and, you you know, some of you may not necessarily identify with any of these, okay? You may not think, in my community, I don't necessarily have power, I don't have prestige, and I don't have possessions. Um, but I want to I add some uh, perspective that, um, I want to just bring this into perspective for you. There's 7.1 billion people on this earth, Okay? The average salary, if you would take everybody's annual income and average it out, and this includes, you know, like the top 1%, the super wealthy, we would all have about $10,000 a year, okay? Now, I know if you're young or in college, that may seem like a lot of money, but that's not a lot of money. Um, A matter of fact, half of those seven, well, almost half, about 3 billion of those 7.1 billion live in extreme poverty. They live on about $2.25 a day. That's about $821.25 per year of income. So imagine if these 3 billion people were suddenly dropped into your world, they would see you as a 3P person. All right? And the reason it's important for you to acknowledge and for us to acknowledge the measure to which we identify as a 3P person, if we do not, The pride we're discussing in this series, killing it, will cause you to misuse the the measure of power you actually do have, the prestige you actually have, and the possessions you have, because you all have it on a certain level. Okay, so let's take a look. I want to take a look at a family in the Old Testament 
who had, these were three key people, okay? And they learned a very valuable lesson. One's a good lesson. It worked out good in the end. One didn't work out so good in the end. And so we're going to look at, um, so we're going to look at Daniel 4 and 5. And this is King Nebuchadnezzar and then his grandson, King Belshazzar, okay? And in a moment here, I'm actually going to read a lot of this from the scripture to you because I think it really explains it really well. But let me set up the story for you. So first of all, we have 600, 605 B.C. Um, Babylon has conquered Judah and Jerusalem, and they've basically taken all of the like, you know, prestigious people, the people with any kind of talent, the best and the brightest, and they put them to work in the palace. Well, one of those kids was Daniel. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, he was raised up to serve, to serve the kingdom. And what happens is the king has this dream, okay? King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he's, he's frightened by it. And so he brings all his magicians and wise men out, and he says, okay, I'm not even going to tell you guys what the dream is. I want you to tell me what I dream, and then I want you to tell me the interpretation of it. Well, of course, none of them could, and of course he became very angry, and he threatened to kill all of them. And then Daniel said, hold on. I can tell you what your dream was, and I can interpret it for you. And he does so. And the king said that Daniel's God is the God of all gods. This is basically King Nebuchadnezzar's first introduction to the Hebrew God, to the one and only true God. And so the king forgets to kill everybody, and he requires the... So, and, you know, he just basically makes that proclamation. Well, shortly after that, you know, he forgets that proclamation about God being the God of all gods, and he commands that everybody in the kingdom worship him. Okay, he's not off to a good start here with his three Ps. And Shadrach, if you know, you're, if you went to Sunday school and you're little, if you read the Old Testament, you know the story. Um, these three characters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were kind of, they worked with Daniel, and they were followers of the one true God, said, no, we will not worship the king. So, of course, he throws them in the fiery furnace to kill them. I'm giving you a very fast version of the story, by the way. And they're rescued. It's miraculous. It's amazing. God delivers them, and King Nebuchadnezzar repents, and he declares that the Hebrew God is the most high God. Okay, you would think the story was over there. He's had a couple really great experiences, seen some great miracles, you know. How many of you have seen amazing miracles like that, you know? And so, but 25 years later, um, this is what happens, okay? And I'm going to read a lot of this too. And this is basically... This is pretty amazing. I don't know, maybe you won't get a kick out of this, but I do. So in Daniel chapter 4, it's basically written by King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, Daniel takes his words and we have them in the Bible. Okay, and so we're able to hear and see and read the thoughts and hear his whole story. So I'm going to use this because I want to read this to you guys. Let me find it here. All right, he says, King Nebuchadnezzar, and I'm going to set it up for you here because I like what he has to say. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. He says, peace and prosperity to you. I want you all to know about the miraculous signs and wonders of the Most High God has performed for me. The most miraculous signs and wonders of the Most High God. Um, this is a proclamation of a man who has really experienced God in real life. Um, how great are his signs, how powerful his wonders, his kingdom will last forever, his rule through all generations. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was living in my palace of comfort and prosperity. There's this, he's a 3P person, okay? But one night I had a dream that frightened me. I saw visions that terrified me, and I lay in my bed. And here's his dream, okay? I'm going to skip ahead. 
While I was lying in my bed, this is what I dreamed. I saw a large tree in the middle of the earth. The tree grew very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves, and it was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in its shade, and birds nestled, nested, nestled's a good word too, nested in its branches. All the world was fed from this tree. Then, as I lie there dreaming, I saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. The messenger shouted, cut down the tree and top off its branches. Shake off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Chase the wild animals from its shade and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump and roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze and surrounded by tender grass. Now let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the wild animals among the plants of the field for seven periods of time. Let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. For this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the holy ones so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses. We're going to hear that verse a lot today. That's our, that's our theme verse, okay? Um, even to the lowliest people. So Daniel basically, in a long story, is the only one who can interpret this dream, and he is first really kind of afraid to give the interpretation of the dream because it's about the king himself. And he says this in verse 19. He says, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. The tree you saw was growing very tall and strong, reaching high into the heavens for all the world to see. It had fresh green leaves and was loaded with fruit for all to eat. Wild animals lived in the chaise and birds nested in its branches. That tree, your majesty, is you. For you have grown strong and great. Your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule to the ends of the earth. Then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from the heaven and saying, Cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump and roots in the ground, bound with a band of iron and bronze surrounded by tender grass. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, let him live with the animals of the field for seven periods of time. This is what the dream means, your majesty, and what the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord the King. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with the wild animals. You will eat grass like a cow. You will be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that, again, the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. But the stump and root of the tree were left in the ground. This means that you will receive your kingdom back again when you have learned that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. And hopefully he can avoid this. So do you think the king heeded Daniel's warning? Let's find out. So in verse 28, But all these things did happen to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later after this dream, um, he was taking a walk on the flat roof of the royal palace in Babylon. As he looked across the city, he said, Look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, 
I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And this is the part in all the movies where like the record scratches and comes to a stop like, and you're like, no. So as soon as that happened, um, while these words were still in his mouth, a voice came down from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, this message is for you. You are no longer ruler of this kingdom. You will be driven from human society. You will live in the fields with wild animals and you eat grass like a cow. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn, until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. So that that same hour of the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. So I'm going to pause for a moment and just talk about this mental condition, okay, living like a cow. Um, <clears throat> sounds kind of strange, but if you go to the very predictable and very solid Wikipedia, okay, you will find a term called, uh, let's see, it's called boanthropy, okay? And this is which a person is in a delusional state where he believes himself to be an ox or cow and attempts to live and behave accordingly. And there was actually in uh, Great Britain, I don't know exactly when, you can look this up for yourself, but in Great Britain, there was a mental patient who lived in a mental hospital. And for five years, they would let him out every day into the grasp of the hospital and he would roam like a cow and graze and eat grass and acted like a cow. So apparently this is a real condition. So be careful. <clears throat> so after the time had passed, that seven periods of time it talks about, I don't. basically what I found is it's just years, okay? I don't know exactly how many, but it was a long time. It wasn't just a couple weeks or something or a couple months. It was years. So after the time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High. I bet he did, huh? I bet he did, after having his sanity return. And honored the one who lives forever. And this is what he says. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases. Among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth, no one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? That's a big lesson to learn. When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored as head of my kingdom uh, with even greater honor than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven and all his acts are just and true and he is able to humble the proud. Um, king Nebuchadnezzar learned firsthand that heaven rules. It's actually an amazing story. If you see that passage where he praises God and you really meditated on that, and I really encourage you to at some point, he really, really, really is convinced of those truths. And he learned this lesson the hard way so you and I don't have to. 
And in case, you know, that wasn't enough, let's fast forward 40 years into the future and talk about his grandson, Belshazzar. Okay, and what's happened? Let me set this up. I'm going to go through this one fairly quickly. Belshazzar, and this is in Daniel 5 if you want to reference it later. Belshazzar has, um, so the, the, the Meds, Medes, I don't know how to say that, but the Meds and the Persians are all outside the gates. They've already captured his father, and so now he's the king. But he feels kind of safe inside the city gates of Babylon, you know. And he decides to go and have this party and throw this party in honor of a Babylonian god called Marduk. Okay? Now, just so you know, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar's story isn't something that happened in the past that everybody's forgotten. This is very well known, King Nebuchadnezzar's story. And he, he did rule as a follower of God for many years after that. And so this is very well known to Belshazzar. So this is, this is a very arrogant thing that he's doing right here. So what, what he did is as the Babylonians would capture all these neighboring um, people groups, they would take their gods and bring them in, and they would, they would honor those people groups' gods to their own gods. Okay? But since the Hebrews didn't really have any kind of idol representing you know, Yahweh, the one and only true God, they took the silver and gold goblets that the priests used in the temple, and they used those, and they paid sacrifice to Marduk and expressed his superiority. And this is, again, the part in the story where the, the record player stops and you say, no, because you just can't believe what he's doing. So, as Belshazzar is demonstrating his superiority, fingers, I don't know if you've, you know, fingers start writing words on the plaster walls inside the banquet hall. Now, you know, I'm sure you've heard the phrase writing on the wall. Um, it doesn't just come from a Stevie Wonder song, you know. It actually originates here in Daniel chapter 5. So just in case you didn't know that. And so these fingers start writing words. Everybody's freaking out. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Belshazzar's knees gave away. He was so scared. So he starts calling in everybody again to try to tell them what's going on. Nobody can. And then the queen says, hey, Daniel's pretty good at this stuff. So they call Daniel in. And Daniel's in his 70s by this point. Can you imagine Daniel's response like, come on, guys, you know? figure this out like wasn't king nebuchadnezzar's three-part story enough for you you know so daniel comes in and he says keep your gifts but i will tell you what this is um and he tells them you know you knew of the famous story of your grandfather you knew all that god showed him you knew that that his arrogance has fallen that and that his acknowledgement of that the most high god rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses so you knew better, and you set yourself against the Most High God. The Bible actually has a term for that. It's called madness, to set yourself against the Most High God. So here's he goes. Here's here's what it reads. And there's there's four words. It's many, many. This isn't on your screen, but it's basically um, the first the first two words are many, many, and it really means this: God has numbered your days and brought them to an end. Essentially, your days are numbered. Uh, tekel is the, second, is the third word, and it says, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Essentially, you are accountable. And the third is Perez, and it mean, or the fourth, and it means your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Your influence is temporary and over. And so what happened that very same night as the sun was setting, the, the Persians were outside the gates, as I mentioned earlier, and they were lowering the water. They were diverting the water of the Euphrates River, 
And the Euphrates River, the way it works is it runs underneath the city wall of Babylon through the center of the city and then back out the other side of the wall. And that's their main watering source, okay? And so they were diverting the water, who knows how long, and so the water was lowering, and it lowered enough to where they had just like swampy land underneath the city gate, the city wall. And so the whole army was able, as the sun was setting, to come in underneath the city wall and capture the city. And that very night, King Belshazzar was executed. His story didn't work out quite as good as King Nebuchadnezzar, partially because he knew better. So, you're probably thinking, what connects me? I'm not a king. I don't have a palace. I don't necessarily live in comfort and prosperity. So what connects us to these two kings? And this is it, and it's very simple. And I want you to really pay close attention to this. Um, This has actually really been, well, I'll get into that in a little bit. So first of all, our days are numbered. And this is on your study guide on the, on the uh, PowerPoint. The next one is we are accountable to God. And the third is our influence is temporary. We really must avoid getting puffed up. There's so many variables in our life, even with these three Ps, that we don't control. We are not creators of our own reality. We need to remember that we have a stewardship of the three Ps and all the all any other extraneous areas in our life. It's all temporary, and we will have to give an account for it. So here's what this means for you today. Here's what this means for me today. Here's what this means for us tomorrow, next week, next year. Okay? This is the question I want you to be thinking about as, as, we, as you leave here today. What areas of your life has pride allowed you to misuse your power, your prestige, and your possessions. And in order to help you think through that, and so let me say it again, what areas of your life has pride allowed you to misuse power, prestige, and possessions? As John mentioned last week, a C.S. Lewis quote, where he talks about all these other problems we have, he calls those a mere flea bite in comparison to pride. Pride really does destroy So let me help narrow this focus for you as you're thinking through that. It's this. The next time you look in the mirror and you think, man, I look good. Some of you look good. Um, (laughs) Sorry. The next time you get to drive in your, you know, Porsche, whatever it is. It could just be like a Honda Accord that you really wanted, you know. But the next time you get to drive and you're whatever it is, the next time you withhold anything from family or friends because you don't want it to get dirty or ruined, the next time you tell the kids, ah, go in mom's car because you don't want stinky socks and hamburgers in your nice new smelling car, Um, the next time you finally get that invitation to the party or to the event or to the meeting that you've been wanting to get to or a friend calls and includes you, or that guy asks you out, or that girl says she wants to go out with you, or even asks you out. Uh, The next time you finally get the salary or the job you've been really wanting, Um, when you finally graduate, Um, when you finally save enough money for whatever, when you finally get to go on that vacation to wherever, when you finally get married, finally have children, when you finally retire, when your kids finally leave the house, I'm kind of, facing that, well, next five years. 
I'm already thinking, all right, when they leave, this is what's going to happen. You know? And I love my kids, but I'm ready for them to grow up. Um, and when you can finally say, I am someone, you need to remind your pride. Well, let's not get in. I want to actually clarify this a little more for you. I want to give you a couple. Uh, I've actually, this, you know, preparing for these messages, you start thinking about your own life and you kind of have to, and God works it that way. And, and so I have a couple little stories here where pride's affected me, and I'm sure there's much more. But so when I was a kid, okay, I have this very rare neurological condition called searching nystagmus. Okay, it's an eye disease. Those of you that know me have seen it, know it. And so my eyes shake constantly, you know, like I have to like look at an angle to see straight and everything's always in movement, okay? And so this has been, it made being involved in sports very difficult, okay? I can't see the balls in baseball, even basketball is hard, a big ball is even hard. And so, but when I was a kid, like most boys, I was really active and I wanted to be competitive and I wanted to be involved in everything. So I still, you know, like a fool, went out for every sport, every season, everything there was, and I was terrible at them. You know, I was like Rudy. Okay, you guys remember the movie Rudy? Like, you know, I made up for what I lacked in ability and like just trying hard. And so the coaches would always bring me on the team, but I'd sit the bench, you know, or they'd call me in when we're like way up by 50 or something, you know, like, and I'd totally make mistakes and miss the ball here and miss it there. And, you know, you notice none of you see me out during the softball tournaments or anything like that, you know, because I just can't do that stuff. So, what I realized is that my pride was at stake when I was young. And so I, I switched into, like, other types of sports. So I first found skateboarding, okay? And I thought, man, I could do skateboarding. I'm really good at skateboarding. You know, and I lived in Bland, Missouri, okay? This is a 600-person town miles, miles from the nearest town and very many miles from the nearest city. We, had to, we only went grocery shopping once a month growing up because there just wasn't anything close. And so I was the best skateboarder in Bland, Missouri. <laughs> and I thought I was pretty hot, you know. And then I moved to California when I was 18. And I was terrible. But hey, so and then I started like, you know, doing all these like snowboarding, skateboarding, you know, rock climbing, thinking, okay, I can find my identity. I could find my athletic competence because as all guys know, we like to be competent, Okay. I can find it in these other things, you know? The reality is I really did enjoy those things, but I was partially motivated by pride. I needed to prove to the world and myself that I was competent in a sport because I spent my whole life stinking at sports. All right? Also, I don't know about you guys, but I've really struggled with a career identity, especially when I was younger. I used to own, actually I still am partial owner of a small window cleaning business, but that used to be what I did full time. Okay, I was the window cleaner, and I remember the whole time I was a window cleaner, I would always go to my advisor and say, hey, I'm thinking about going to graduate school to become a geologist, or hey, I'm thinking about going to graduate school to be this. And finally, one of my mentors sat me down and goes, what are you asking me? I said, I'm asking you, I want to go to school to do this. Should I do this? And he goes, no, this is what you're asking me. You're asking me, is this all my life is? I'm a window cleaner? And I, I thought, you're right. You're right. And then he explained to me, without going into a whole sermon on that, he explained to me what my life really was about. And it was about being a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I had to move my identity over to that. So pride was really motivating that. I also have this need, as some of you do too, to be important. I want to be the go-to guy. 
I want to I be the guy who never says no. I want to be the guy who can always say yes, the guy that people come to for help. And I genuinely do care about people and want to be helpful. But I also battle with pride. What if I say no and then they don't ask me again? That's not helpful. That's not helpful to me or to the world. And then one last little quick story is, I used to own this old Jeep, Cherokee, okay? We got it given to us for free by someone in this church as a gift, and it had needed some work, and it, had, it, had, it was in a rack, and I even zip-tied the axle on once, and it was just a mess. So, and I drove around this Jeep, and I got this, this job being a, um, a marketing person, and I would come up, and they had, like, Mercedes and stuff, you know, my coworkers making the same amount of money as me, and I was just like, well, here's my clunky old Jeep, you know, with a blown-out headlight and a bent-in fender and a zip-tied, you know, part of the axle zip-tied on it. And so so finally I got enough money to fix all that stuff. And then I thought, you know what, that's not enough. Like, if I'm going to make this work, if I'm going to make this work, I need to, like, lift this thing a little bit. I need to put bigger tires on it. And then I could say, well, I'm driving it because it's a four-wheel drive off-road vehicle, and I'm, I'm restoring it. You know, like, and then it makes me look a little bit better. Now, I really did want to drive a four-wheel drive vehicle, and I really did drive that four-wheel drive vehicle, and I really did. So it wasn't like totally motivated by pride; some of it was by desire. But that was a that was like the thing that tipped me over the edge to go ahead and buy that. Is I thought I need to be cool. And now I drive a '95 Honda Accord, which I'm very thankful for, with messed up paint. And every day I walk out to it, I'm like, man. It's such a privilege, but it's not cool. And it kills a part of me. And why is that? What is it inside of me that needs to be cool? It's pride. And you know, those are fun, easy things to talk about, but it can get into much more serious things. So I really encourage you, and this is what you tell your pride. This is what I have to say. This is what you have to say on a daily, multi-daily basis. Remind your pride this. It's all a stewardship. It's all temporary. And you're accountable to God. So pride, go back to where you came from. Go back to where you came from. The most high rules over the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. I want to go ahead and invite the worship band up and the ushers to go ahead and prepare for today's offering. Um, Go ahead and finish up your connection card if you haven't done so. There are some next steps on there I want to bring your attention to that you may want to take this week. And first is to memorize Daniel 4.17. And I've said it a million times. The most high God rules over all the kingdoms of the world and gives them to anyone he chooses. You partially already have it memorized. And you can tell yourself that every single day until you're convinced. And so that's, that's next step number one. Number two is in, in prayer this week, acknowledge God as the ruler of the earth. And then third, take an account of the three Ps in your life that you need to steward well. And let me pray for you guys and pray before we receive our offering. Lord, you, you truly are the most high and sovereign God over this world, Lord. And um, all the areas of our life, Lord, we, it's amazing how we really start to depend upon us, on our society, on our jobs, on each other. And some of that is good, 
God. Some of that is appropriate. But we leave you out of the equation, God. And we really think that we are capable of completing and fulfilling all that we're in at, at work to do. When, Lord, the reality is, is we're not. You're upholding, as Hebrews says, Lord, you're upholding every subatomic particle in the universe at every given nanosecond, God. You are truly in control, and we are arrogant to think otherwise. So forgive us, God, for that. And we know you do because of Jesus. We know that after last week's message, Lord, that Jesus provides a way of us reconciling our pride and being reconciled to you, Lord. So thank you. Thank you for that. Lord, bless today's service and bless everybody who's here in life, Lord. Um, Work on our pride, Lord, so that we can be more free to serve you and serve this world and not to shut you and others out. In Jesus' name, amen.